podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello and welcome to the flagship show, the show here on ESSR. It's ESSR Central. I am doing a shit impression of my brother Ross McLeod. I am your host, Scott McLeod, here. I really wish I'd put more thought into doing an impression up until five seconds before I pressed record. But yes, Ross is off gallivanting in New York City uh, this week, the week of Thanksgiving. And he's asked about taking photos of parades like a child. Uh, while I'm here to pick up the slack and once again host ESSR Central in his absence and, you know, a certain tie-in low for someone who's available to come help me in this special episode of Central. And, you know, unlike when you're searching for that last member, that one extra partner for War Games, Randy Orton was not available tonight, so instead I've settled for David Hockney. Hello, Dave. Hi, listen, yeah, you had me confused right at the start. I honestly thought Ross was back with that nail-on impression, but... I appreciate, you know, you I appreciate that he's going to, to New York, you know, get some travelling under his wing. Then he can probably understand where I'm coming from. Yes, and I'm sure Ross will show, talk, talk to me about it and I'll listen to it just as much as I do whenever you tell us about one of your many, many trips. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But Ross this week, by default, in the words of Matt Berry, is for this week alone, the most devious bastard in New York City. Anyway... <laughs> Moving on, we are ASSR. You can catch up with all our back catalogue and every other episode of ASSR Central, our feature shows, which are back. Uh, Saturday Draft Live, every Saturday, Eastern Meets West, and the episode of that came out recently. All of that is wherever you get your podcasts from Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean. Not technically Anchor anymore because it's Spotify for podcasts, but I've got into the habit of saying Anchor. <laughs> Everywhere, give us a like, rating, or review on your platform of choice. Follow ESSR on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Maybe not LinkedIn. Everywhere except LinkedIn. Uh, TikTok? TikTok, yes, if that's your thing. If you're down with the kids these days. but <laughs> Definitely not me then. <laughs> no, not me either. You know, TikTok's one of those things that makes me feel old, and I shouldn't, even when I shouldn't be, so I hate it even more. <laughs> I also follow the East as our community page. Answer our big question. We'll get to the big question uh, later on. You can get your answers read out on the show. Now, Dave, I was doing my little bit of uh, a Matt Berry there, my joking pronunciation. And so that should take us to Full Gear. We're going to talk about Full Gear, the fall of that into Dynamite, and we're going to preview a Survivor Series this coming Saturday. And given I've made these jokes about Matt Berry's pronunciations, I'm just going to start at random with a match that should have been a lot more than it was, but I enjoyed the outcome anyway. AEW's own Matt Berry with her promo videos that she's been doing promoting Diamante and Rampage, as she calls it, Timeless. Tony Storm is once again your your AEW Women's Champion. She's a three-time Women's Champion, defeating defeating Karashira with the deadly metal arse. <laughs> oh, is it? Remind me, is it similar to Naomi's rear view? Yeah, it's basically all they say it's the hip attack. Like you don't hit them with your hip, though. You hit them with your arse. It's not uh, what it is. The booty boot, as Stacy called it. <laughs> yes, it's been five years since we did that um, all women's quiz show, and I still remember it. 
I think everybody wanted Tony Wynn, not because they don't like Kirsty Duke. She is obviously very one of the better women in the ring that they've got in the roster. But just this character that Tony's been doing has just gone so over. It's a per- she's given the perfect role to Luther, and that he's just, he just has to stand there and not do anything, which is perfect. She's got Mariah May as this, I think, will develop into her very own Mickey James, our, our number one fan who gave her, her roses at the end. It's just I don't think they re- this finish went the way that they wanted it to because they're trying to hide this metal thing in her arse. Uh, they were trying to hide this metal thing in her gear so she could do the habitat with the ref seeing it. But it was clearly sticking out. You had to be blind not to see it. And like I remember John to us, like, I get what they're going for, but it's hardly bloody Bret Hart with the metal plate under his jersey when he attacked Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Um... Definitely a weird one. Probably didn't go as smoothly as planned. But then again, it wasn't as blatant as, you know, Logan Paul using brass knucks to knock out Rey Mysterio. But I hear what you're saying about timeless Tony Storm. I think this is arguably the best iteration of her character throughout maybe as long as I've seen her on the circuit. Like, you know, even from NXT UK, NXT full sale to the main roster, etc. I think she's finally found a character that not only she gels with, but the fans gel with too. And I think, you know, against my better judgment, you know, Hikara, she is on my draft team, but I think it was the right call because they need to capitalize on a very, like, uh, engaging female superstar. And I think Tony Storm's finally hit the mark with it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, like, look at her in the UK scene going into NXT UK. So, look, I've got my hat to the side. I'm cool. I listen to rock music. Hey, it's Tony time. Stop trying to make <laughs> Tony a thing, Tony. It's not happening. And then this guy that you got here, I mean, the AEW Women's Division, how it's been presented, has been a big topic of discussion on podcasts like such as this. But when you really look at it, you look at what's you know getting over, what's been the most popular. You look at Tony Storm with this, you look at when Burt Baker was getting over and during the, the pandemic with her heel character, which was developing while she was injured and other people like that. It's almost if people of women get time and their characters can develop week to week, you know, they'll actually get over and, you know, people want to see them in multiple matches. You know, it's almost as if you book people well and let their characters develop, whether they're man or woman. It's almost as if, Tony, that they'll actually get over regardless. Hi. And it's funny that you said, you know, you take time to develop a character, yet, ironically, she's she's now called Timeless. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I digress. I don't know. That was a shit joke. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I do like speaking of Tony Khan she neglected to show up to the media but instead left Tony a letter to read out which he then tweeted a photo of which I haven't heard the letter but I just heard that it started with the phrase dearest Anthony <laughs> okay, you know she's she's embodying that old fashioned Marilyn Monroe style character you know and having the championship presented to her like an Oscar style ceremony on Dynamite it just it's just another layer to the character you know it's she has that you know, it's like she's been working towards that Oscar-style accolade, and now she's finally awarded with said accolade on the following show. So she's done the work, she's got the glory, and now she's being formally presented with it. It it truly is timeless. Yeah, because like when you look back at like original Goldust, like obviously a big part of his whole androgynous, you know, he made people uncomfortable with these, you know, rubbing rubbing up these opponents. But another big thing about was the movie references. You know, he's made it look like an Oscar statue. He made, he'd do film quotes in his promos. He had Marlena as his director, not his manager, his director. Mm-hmm. For the whole, I, don't the, um, I don't get the blonde wig, though. What was all that about? <laughs> I don't know. Wigs are a thing in Hollywood. I don't bloody know. But I'm just thinking, <laughs> like, that kind of movie, wrapped up movie-centric character is something you don't really see in a while, which 
I think this is the closest, this Tony thing is the closest thing to this, all this Hollywood style. Like, she lost her belt, like, am I not as good as I once was? Am I not talented anymore? Uh, and obviously the whole watch for the shoe thing is... Oh, yeah. Who throws uh, a shoe, honestly? Tony Storm, apparently. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know what? She's in arguably the same position as Ray Ripley right now. You know, she's got a character that really gels with the audience. She's still only in her 20s. So she's got like years ahead of her. And, you know, despite the hiccups she had in WWE, she's finally found a rhythm in AEW. And, you know, more power to her. I hope she has a really, really successful run. And we're going to be doing a Ray Ripley feature show uh, very soon. It's going to be recorded this week. It'll be coming out in early December. And one of the things we're going to talk about is Rhea Ripley's match, which me and panelists on the show Sarah gave her attendance for at NXT TakeOver Blackpool, the UK one, where Rhea and Tony faced for the Women's Championship. And like the difference in both of them since then, like Tony, I wasn't really into, like I said, her genetic face character. Rhea still had a little bit ways to go, uh, which she would help really go when she went from the, to the US NXT. So it's, it's amazing looking at that. And, and I just remembered earlier on as I was talking to some of the guys in that group chat come this January will be five years since that NXT UK takeover so looking at Tony and Rhea in the span of just five years mm. I still can't get over the fact that you know they were contesting the U- the NXT UK women's title between two Australians <laughs> you can't make it up well UK partly owns it you know their flags it's are like, similar that's true yeah it is part of the Commonwealth and Australia does compete in Eurovision too we sent prisoners over to your country. You can compete for our titles. That's how it works. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know. Can you tell I don't know much about international politics? You uh, think? <laughs> anyway. I, I can uh, say I've been to Australia, so I can appreciate the, the culture and the history behind it. I mean, yeah, I learned enough at Australia. I did history. But I would, I would <laughs> love to go to Australia. But yeah, like the count, watching Neighbours and Home and Away doesn't count as history. How dare you? I've never watched an episode of Home and Away in my life. More of a neighbours man myself. But <laughs> anyway, moving on. The main story of the night was the story around MJF and will he be able to defend his championship in the main event? Because after accepting, after the encouragement from Adam Cole, they accept Samoa Joe's offer to be his tag team partner with the caveat that uh, Joe would get a title shot if MJF walked out in the main event as the champion. So Joe helps MJF get the win here. Adam Cole helps make, cause a distraction at one point. Jay Raptor's applause coming out on his crutches. But Joe, as soon as he helped uh, Max win the match, he walked right out of him and didn't even bother to help as MJF got beat down by the guns as the kickoff show or the zero or whatever you want to call it closed with the dramatic angle of MJF being taken to an ambulance and yelling, Adam, don't let them take the belt from me. Adam! <laughs> Which then led to the angle after the opening match where it looked like uh, Jay White was going to just be handed the title via four because Matt's couldn't compete. And bizarrely, Adam Cole coming off a surgery to fix an ankle that was you know, broken in three places, may I add. He's jumping off a ramp. Yeah, which is, he's incorrect. He's got a boot on. Says, I talked to Tori Khan. I'll fight on his behalf. Which he, he eventually didn't have to do because Max... She the Steve Austin at the 99 Royal Rumble commandeers an ambulance drives into the arena and on one bad leg uh, manages to fight uh, Jay White and with one bad leg and all the injuries he's suffering 
he manages to retain the title. Now, we'll get to the match itself, but I've seen a lot of people, and I think rightfully in a lot of cases, picking it like the logic here. NJF is not fit to compete. So the guy who is also not really fit to compete yet will fight on his behalf. Like Cole on Dynamite when he and MJF got a promo said, I'm nowhere near being able to really walk right on this on this leg, let alone wrestle. So why the fuck were you going to wrestle in the main event? You're going to be no use against Jay White. Aye, that's true. But do remember that Cody Rhodes did face Seth Rollins inside Hell in a Cell with one working arm. Hmm. I know, but like, it just felt like this is very like, a very, very different situation. Uh, but also, we didn't have to think about uh, that because it didn't end up happening with Cole Wrestling as MJF came back. Very dramatic, and I think it's utilising the uh, the zero hour effectively, having that close zero hour, continue it on the main show, and you know, the commentators keep banging it up until that dramatic But where MJF comes back and you, I don't think anybody was expecting the match to go as long as it was. I think the longer it went out, you're, one, you're, you're meant to think, oh, can MJF hold out and eventually walk away the belt? And he did, and he's officially, he's not only the youngest AEW champion, not only the most defences, he's officially had the longest reading, and has held it for one calendar year. MJF 365, it finally happened. But yeah, going on the, the time, the longest match of the night, uh, I imagine we'll talk about after this, but it was t- the second longest, just 10 seconds shorter than the longest. 29 minutes, 45 seconds. There you go. I mean, Jay White is from New Japan. He, he, Jay White was one half of the longest Tokyo Dome main event alongside Kota Ibushi at 48 or so minutes from 2021. So Jay White can go uh, the distance, much like Hercules. Uh, well, I really enjoy it. say about Kota Ibushi as well? Like, what is in his neck when he took a tombstone pile driver off the ring apron to the floor with only like a row of chairs defending it? How is he not a paraplegic or a quadriplegic after that spot? Just please tell me how. Yeah, I don't even think he's human. It's one of the least weird things about him is how easy they get back up. I and this guy's done in matches where he's had fireworks shot at him. The man got banned man got a, man got banned from wrestling in a certain venue in Japan for seven years because he, he was told, don't moonsault off that balcony. And he went and moonsaulted off the balcony. He's a very weird individual, is old Kota Ibushi. Uh, but uh, anyway... This, yeah, this, don't ask. This match, despite being like four or so in the morning, uh, UK did when I was watching it live, I was I was gripped by the match, and you know the fact that we, like I said, just went 15 seconds shy of bloody 30 minutes, 10 seconds shy of the longest match. It just, uh, it, it, it's when you think that we're going to wrap up, they kept going like the spot where NJF was going to lay Jay White on the table, and the table broke underneath <laughs> him. They said, "Fuck it, I'm going to do the elbow drop anyway." Yeah, yeah, you know, and then. Just out of nowhere, MJF, who his early heel run wouldn't even do, consider doing a dive, leaps over the top rope and RKO's, like, like cutters Jay White to the hard floor. Which oh, I think was yeah. Not worse for him than it was for Jay White. I think that was the best part of the whole match, you know, just a, basically flying over, cutter out of nowhere. Oh, so smooth. And it's good to see MJF doing more like dive spots, you know, but I, I think that's sort of part of his, you know, I'm 
Like he's our scumbag based character now, and you know he's willing to take more chances rather than take the easy way out. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It was a one hell of a main event. Uh, one thing about the MJF like story I want to talk about before we move on is with the all in card, uh, the all in uh, full gear card. Uh, we are uh, we already have confirmation that Joe will get that title shot and he'll get it at Worlds. And uh, MJF wanted to fight him on Dynamite after encouragement from Aaron Cole to you know, keep his end of the deal. And uh, Joe said, I want you at your best so I can you know, earn that title. You know, well, I make sure it wasn't a bad decision for me to throw down the ROH TV title. I still can't get over that decision. <laughs> like, oh, so if only after at a match. World's TV, end, they, at World's End, did they do like the Golden Mile? 13 pubs, 13 pints, and alongside Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Whoever can go the longest in that match after their pub crawl without puking, you know, the first one who loses the title. That's that's that the rules like of that. Out in Glasgow. <laughs> but so he wants NJFA 100. percent So I can't believe like oh I wrestled Keith Lee and I've won. Now I'm going to make this belt so I can win the AEW title. Yeah, it really feels like you could have just given Keith Lee that title. Anyway, <laughs> so we've already got the main event for the final pay per view, not just for AEW but in, re- in general of the year. Uh, those two will go one on one. There's still a lingering aspect of the devil hanging around who appeared briefly on Dynamite just laughing after MJF mentioned him. So, are you surprised that they didn't reveal the devil's identity? I thought that was going to be the big closing angle as mm. MJF to call the devil make his appearance and that would be who he would fight at World's End. I mean, it made sense to, you know, have it, but at the same time, you know, if George had already said, you know, I'm getting the next title shot and stuff, I guess it would have been a bit more complicated had they revealed the devil and possibly a, another potential challenger. So I think they might do the devil reveal it at World's End instead. So, but I'm cool with that. You know, have the Samoa Joe feud first, and then they can go with the devil one. It feels like this thing. Oh, everyone's coming after MJF. Like he's still got Wardlow floating around. Which I like it as part of the story. If you got other people coming after MJF, that if Joe really wants him at 100, percent like Joe volunteers to take people out for MJF, so MJF doesn't get injured. Like Joe mm-hmm. Wardlow wants to fight MJF, and Joe's like, no, no. Nobody's getting to him before I do. And then so Joe challenges like Wardlow to a match on Dynamite to take him out so he's not a threat to him anymore. But the fact the longer we wait for this devil to be revealed, the longer the speculation goes. And <clears throat> recently it's been like everybody from CM Punk to Britt Baker to Jack Perry. God, don't let it be Jack Perry. To uh, this is going to go the way of Diamond Dallas Page being revealed as the, the Undertaker's stalker. Well, I'd, I'd be happier if it was DDP that was revealed as the bloody... <laughs> Devil and Jack Perry, I'd, I'd pop for that. But recently it's went back to Adam Cole as the suspect because people have zoomed in on him during that segment. Like, look at Adam Cole, looks like he was reaching for his pocket right before the lights went out. And then apparently when the lights come back on, it looks like Adam Cole's putting something in his pocket. Like, so somehow Adam Cole turned the lights off and Adam Cole's secretly a devil. Like, because like, the devil looked like he was clearly standing uh, in those segments and Adam Cole can't even stand up without his crutches. So I know everyone wants it to be Adam Cole, but I don't think that's the case. Yeah, everyone it wants physically to can't be. Yeah, everyone wants to convince them this this injury is a work. But I think we need to get past that whole Vince Russo nineties, you know, mentality of everything is a work. Yeah, I think we're just in that phase now. We just need to, you know, embrace the reality era. I know people using the internet and the dirt sheets and stuff. We know the line between kayfabe and reality, and we can sort of tell a story as it goes. It has to feel more natural. It can't just be forced. 
Who do you think? Who would you like to see be the devil? Do you have any interest of who it might be? Oh, I worry it is going to be Jack Perry. But if I was to speculate, I don't know. I mean, there's there's so many matches on the card. You know, basically all the main talents getting getting exposure. So it's hard to single anybody out. I mean, if I'm being if I'm fantasy booking, I hope it's Will Osprey. Interesting. Just because he's recently signed, you know, I think there's less suspect on him because obviously he's still fairly new and signed, but it's not that he hasn't competed for AEW before. But I reckon they could have anybody wearing the devil mask, you know, just for backstage promos and stuff. But I think this could be a chance to, like, insert you know a big name challenger without him necessarily having to be there if that makes sense that's an interesting idea but i think it has been reported that like this is one of those cases where it's not somebody fell again like whoever's the devil is in those under that mask in those vignettes so it'll be interesting to see who it actually is they seem to be doing a decent enough job of keeping it hush hush as to who it actually is if that is the person in that in the mask speaking of osprey you know Tony Khan can't say these big announcements for episodes of Dynamite. We need to dealt up the ratings. We need to have it for pay-per-views as well. And so we had Tony Giovanni come to ring uh, to announce the newest signing for AEW. Tony Khan had teased earlier in the week he'd signed a hot free agent, a talent who is well-respected the world over and everything. And I think he did this just despite me, did Will. But Will Walsby revealed himself as the newest signee. And I say he did it despite me because... Me and Grant talked extensively about where Will Osprey was going to go uh, after his contract expired, which I think is up in February. And I said that as much as he would have great matches and probably would do well in AEW, I said it's the least interesting of his three main options. Because while he wouldn't get the same money in like TNA, he is a fan of TNA. He's said so publicly and he wants to wrestle for TNA at least once before you know he goes to AEW. Because that's how he got into wrestling, watching you know, TNA on the free on free TV here in the UK. And I said mm-hmm. WWE would give him the money that he was probably looking for, but it would also have that novelty factor of like seeing someone like Will Ospreay in WWE mixing up with you know WWE talent. But AEW, a place where he's already been, seems like the least shocking potential. Uh-huh. Like this person it could have been, but well, you imagine is- like if he did sign with WWE. Mm. And he got a match with AJ Styles. Basically, he would face a guy that he grew up idolizing on TNA. Like, how awesome would that be? A match that Grant mentioned to me, which would have been cool if we got uh, if he went to WWE. If he went to WWE, uh, can you imagine them trying to run back him and Ricochet the whole ma- the, the match? Those two in Japan, that gift that got shared around, that easily mm. got attention in the first place, and would elevate bloody Ricochet at the same time. Whoa, we're so elevated. That's plenty. Oh, come <laughs> on, it's a banging song. Like, I, it is. You know what? Osprey was right when he tweeted out before Wembley. Like, I have a song with really good lyrics too. Learn them. I'm kicking myself for not knowing it now because it's such a banging song. Oh, it was before you sang it. But anyway, well, oh, Osprey said that he... He isn't really EW fully just yet. He's got to finish out his New Japan commitments. 
so it's a big signing. Someone's coming in, but not yet. Because mm. he is for January 4th, where after David Finley smashed up his US slash UK title, it's been announced that uh, at Wrestle Kingdom, it's going to be Will Osprey versus David Finley versus John Moxley. So I'm going to have a triple threat match for a newly introduced belt in New Japan. Uh, people are saying that Eerie can't rule out him win it because he could still come back and do the occasional New Japan show. But I think that's the day we finally win that one because he's you know, the only full-time one over there. So Osprey said, I'm on the, Osprey said I'll be on the road to Revolution uh, after that. So I think his first major match will be obviously at Revolution. I'll use that to help up the interest in that show. And then, of course, it'll all be about getting Osprey another big match for Wembley, you know, the hometown boy. And I think that's where you do Osprey Omega 3. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. It does um, It does make me wonder, maybe that was the, the end game when it came to Osprey signing. Maybe they wanted him under contract with AEW exclusively ahead of their next Wembley show, which will be next August. So they've got nine months to fully incorporate him into the AEW fold and potentially even make him AW champion along the way. And maybe him versus Omega-3 could main event Wembley. It is technically a part of the Don Callis family, as is Kyle Fletcher. And you should also mention Kyle Fletcher's tag partner, who's still injured, Mark Davis. He and Fletcher and Davis were part of Osprey's United Empire faction. And yeah, they're Aussie Open, aren't they? Yeah, Aussie Open. So Osprey... Os- Os- Teaming with Aussie Open once again, they, those three going off on their own as a trio, you know, mixing up in the trio division against like the acclaimed and Daddy Ass or against the, the elite. United you know, the Empire versus the elite, that sounds like money. Yeah, I think they had that. Like those three competed actually in the initial tournament to crown the trio's champs to give like, a little taste of what happened. Like, clearly they were wanting to sign them even back then, but like at the time, all three of them were committed to New Japan. So. There you go. Well, Osprey, another shiny toy to round out 2023. Uh, I'll go. I'll run through the rest of the card that we haven't talked about. I'll just list the results, and then you tell me what match you want to talk about. Uh, oh, on the on, zero, like, why are we wasting time? There is only one match I want to talk about. Yes, but it's fun to just mention other matches. On the zero, it started out before half the arena was even in the bloody building. Eddie Kingston retaining his Ring of Honor World Title against Jeff uh, Jay Lethal with Jeff Jarrett in his corner. Claudio Castagnoli defeated Buddy Matthews in a match brought to you by 2019 SmackDown. Mm. Uh, in the 2019 Angel- Superstars. <laughs> uh, Sting, Darby and Adam Copeland defeated the Patriarchy. Christian Cage, Club. Christian Cage, uh, Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne after L- Christian walked away. I should mention Christian's entrance with the children singing his song as with a countdown, various words to describe uh, Christian came up on the screen inspirational, wise, selfless loved, courageous generous, compassionate respected, sacrificing devoted and then finally father oh, what a Maybe little bastard Orange Cassidy managed to retain his EW International Championship over John Moxley timeless Tony Storm as we said to, he did uh, Karashida Ricky Starks and Big Bill managed to hold on to their tag titles in a four-way ladder match over uh, LFI's Rusha Drillistico, uh, FTR, and the Kings of the Black, so Malachi Black and Brody King. Julia Hart showed the House of Black how it's really done by winning the TBS Championship in a three way against Chris Statlander and Sky Blue. Swerve Strickland won a very nasty, very bloody Texas death match against Hangman Adam Page. And in a, a match 
that I missed majority of because I went for a shit and told Ross not to pause it. The Golden Jets, Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega defeated the Young Bucks to take the Young Bucks' tag team title opportunity. And the Young Bucks threw a stroke because, hey, remember we got called children? So let's act like children on TV. Fucking dicks. Anyway, yeah, I think the match everyone wants to talk about is, of course, the Texas Death Match. Yes. Mm. Fuck I mean, me, that was mental, some of the stuff they did. Imagine someone telling you, John Moxley is going to be on this show and his match isn't going to be the bloodiest one of the night. <laughs> uh, it's like, hey, hey, Moxley, watch this. Like, I'm just going to take this. It's going to make sure me and my opponent are both open. I'm just, and when I'm lying on the map, I'm going to pull him towards me and I'm going to drink his own blood and then spit it back out again. Like, oh my God. And that's had a lot of mixed reviews. Oh, yeah. Uh, from online. Yeah, it's a bit much for some. Apparently, they made Strickland get several blood tests before they did that spot just to make sure. You know, <laughs> it was safe. Which, which is fair enough. I mean, what a tonal shift. Swerve's entrance with Nana and all those dancers, and then just the very violent nature of the match itself with the staples and everything. There's mm. a, shot, a shot of like a Swerve looking up as the blood is trickling down. I said to her, I was like, this is giving me Eddie Guerrero Judgment Day 04 vibes right here. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And the, the staple spots, you know, stapling the the paper to his face. Like, oh, it's like something out of Jackass, like when Steve-O put the fish hook through his jaw. Like, that's what kind of vibes I got from that. It was just, that, was just, that was just painful to watch. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was another one. They had glass. Was it real glass? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, and stomp to the back and everything. And then I was shocked by this because it's a Texas death match. They pretty much built it up as Hangman's match. You know, he's beat Lance Archer in that match. He's beaten John Moxley in that style of match. So to actually see Swerve win the match and like choke out Hangman would have seen a very similar spot to how Moxley, how Moxley was defeated by Hangman in their Texas death match. So that kind of came back to haunt him. And I think, you know, maybe you should have seen it coming when Hangman basically didn't let Swerve get a word in and pretty much roasted him. <laughs> go home dynamite promo off and swerve win this i think we're used to that whole 50 50 style of booking somebody wins one match someone wins the other then it's a rubber match but no they gave swerve two big you know, mm-hmm. back to wins over hangman and you know swerve's part of the continental classic hangman isn't i really think this is a major push to the title and you know devil aside and everything if you want it's a proper heel to cement mgf as a face and somebody take the belt off a of face mgf Give the belt to Swerve. Oh, yeah. Like, I've said in the last couple of weeks or so, like, I think they're pushing Swerve to main event level now. And another win like that over Hangman is is huge for him. And I already have him down as an early favourite to win the, um, the Continental Classic. I think he's in the Gold League at the minute. Yeah, I think so. So uh-huh. we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. But... Hangman Adam Page living up to his name at the end of that death match. Oh, as it was, yeah. Uh, not much to say about some of the other matches because uh, we got a set amount of time. We were great. got a lot more to cover. But I would say I, I enjoyed the Orange Cassidy John Moxley match. You know, it was a pretty much a straight up match for Moxley. Nothing like not like his usual fair we've seen. And I think this is pretty much the plan all along. Except they were hoping probably for Moxley to walk in champion and lose the belt back to Cassidy. But you mm. know, with injuries being what they were, the whole stopgap with Phoenix winning the belt, the kind of just went fuck it. We'll have. 
get get the desired result, but just have him retain the belt rather than win it. And then randomly seem to tease getting into something with the Blackpool Combat Club and getting into something with Wheeler Yu at the end of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's I'm okay with it. You know, have Orange Cassidy and Hook go up against BCC. But, you know, this match itself, you know, it's it's a safe, reliable match between two guys who are, you know, very much, you know, pillars of AEW in their own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the ladder match, I don't really have much to say about that other than the, like, oh my God, they nearly killed Drew Stickle. <laughs> like, you bastard. Yeah. Pretty keenly murdered a man live on pay-per-view. I do love the tease that Big Bill could probably just reach up and grab the titles if he wanted to without <laughs> the use of the ladder because he's so tall. I don't know if you know this, but Big Bill is seven foot tall and apparently I am, I've heard that that cannot be taught unlike some other skills. But anyway. <laughs> boom. Yeah, see the women, you know, getting time and developing their characters. The slow burn of when Julia Hart joined the House of Black and she's primarily been, you know, on the outside for their matches, but she had that slow winning streak, you know, which ended when she initially lost to Julia, uh, Chris Allen in the back of her stream, which she's come back for more than the storyline that also now involves Sky Blue. And now she's mm. won the first bit of gold. So, again, two women on the show who had time to develop their characters and now are being rewarded by, with that with championships. Yeah, Sky Blue's really starting to make waves, I think. You know, you know, she's getting a few wins here and there. She beat Red Red Velvet to qualify for this match. Uh, she's got a triple threat against Ruby Soho. And I want to say... No, I've forgotten. Yeah, I think it was like Anna Jay maybe being involved. Anna Jay, that was it. Yeah, they had that on Dynamite, I think. Yeah, it was just a Thanksgiving three-way match or whatever. Just because like, they're t- they're hyping this Dynamite <laughs> up. The thanks don't. You imagine thanks- if somebody proposed a Thanksgiving three-way when you're sat around the table with your whole family. <laughs> that just sounds but, weird saying it out loud. Just don't don't make any references to anyone anyone doing any stuffing anyway because they're hyping <laughs> up the Thanksgiving. <laughs> Who wants some pumpkin pie, Ready? <laughs> Fuck off. Anyway, uh, yeah, Julie Hart won the TBSL. Good for her. Anyway, that was Phil Gear. Well, her very succinctly, you know, summed up. But uh, something before we go into the Continental Classic is they've upped the stakes because they're saying the winner will become the Continental Classic champion. They thought, oh, that would just be a tail. Like, no, it seems like it'll be actual championship belt that they'll be introducing. So another one. But uh, see. But then Eddie Kingston wanted to up the state where he's up, he's putting up his Ring of Honor world title and his strong openweight belt, which he initially made it seem like he was going to defend it in every match in this round robin tournament. But he said, no, that's not the case. It's just a case of the fact that whoever wins it gets the Continental title, uh, Continental Championship, and those two belts. So, so the winner will get three titles, a new triple crown, you know, represented by three yes. belts. Defend these three belts as one across AEW, New Japan, and Ring of Honor, so they say. So, Oh, yeah, that'll make things easy to follow, won't it? I mean, why yeah. don't they just put the International Championship and the Continental Championship together, unify them, and then create the AEW Intercontinental Championship? God, Dave, where do you get these weird ideas from? I don't know. I mean, it just, it just sort of came to my mind. Yeah. I'm I mean, also mad at- you know, you know, you've known me for a long time, like, my mind is very weird and works in mysterious ways. I mean, I'm a little bit mad at you because I had a similar joke and you very much stole it. So, the hell? <laughs> nah, I can see that coming a mile away. Like, even Stevie Wonder could have seen it. 
<laughs> but uh, so yeah, they'll get these three belts. And you know, I noticed when they did the special before Dynamite, where it was Tony Khan and uh, Tony Schiavone, and by that I mean Tony Schiavone carrying Buddy Tony Khan through this segment where they announced all the participants and what group they were in. It's the gold group and the blue group. Uh, yeah, Eddie Kingston come in and make say a few words. He had both the the strong point belt on one side of the table, where everyone else say, and there was something else there, which was clearly a title, but they were covering up with a tarp, so they're not revealing that until World's End, I'm assuming. Because I think it was on the, uh, a couple weeks before World's End, they're going to do like the, the finals, like the block finals or whatever it is, and the winners from the two groups will go on to will go on to a World's End to fight for the Continental Triple Crown Championship, but I think sounds like sounds like just copied, you know the um that round robin format with the NXT UK heritage with the NXT Heritage Cup, you know the winner well, of each block face each other and the winner gets the opportunity to challenge Noam Dar. I mean, not to put on my nerdy you know, East meets West glasses here, Dave, but you know they've pretty much been doing this round robin style thing in Japan for fucking years, and Eddie Kingston being like out of all Japan, they had their triple crown belt, which is now just one belt, used to be represented by three belts. So clearly this is. This feel, feels like, a, like Tony Khan giving Eddie Kingston what he wants. Like, you can have your own triple crown just for you. And then also the G1 does this. Like, Tony Khan multiple times in that selection special reference to J crown, which is the thing where a bunch of junior champs put their belts up and that led to the, that image of Ultimo Dragon with all those titles way back in the day. So, and also Khan said he was trying to borrow from like, the European football system of like the groups, of like having group stages and everything. Also with his experience with film and everything. Mm. So it's borrowing from all sorts of places. But I think before we get into the people who are involved in this tournament, it really just sells to me the way that when Eddie King's put up his belts and everything, like, well, Kingston's getting to the finals, isn't he? Like, he may not win it, but he's definitely getting to the finals. Because it'd be weird if he put up his two titles, which he worked hard, he talked about how hard he worked to get them, and then doesn't even make the finals. I know, that, that just makes zero sense at this point. But... I would like to put forward a favourite because Eddie's in the Blue League mm-hmm. and if we assume he's going to make the final I hope he, got, he goes up against Swerve. Ooh, that would be good. I think the Daniel Brian Danielson is in the Blue League as well. So I definitely yeah. think so Blue, Blue, League is, Blue League is Eddie Kingston, Brian Danielson, Andrade, Brody King, Claudio and Daniel Garcia. Gold League is Jay White, Moxley, Swerve, Jay Lethal, Mark Briscoe, and Rush. 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 I say Rush, you say Rush. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, I definitely think Danielson and King will be like one of those like deciding matches, like the two favourites in the block going at it. But, you know, Tony Khan showing he doesn't like Eddie that much because he's put him in the same block as his most hated rival, Claudio Castagnoli. <laughs> Uh, which I'm sure Eddie's very happy about. Mm-hmm. Also, a fun thing to talk about, Jay White and John Moxley being in the same block, so they will eventually face each other. This will only be the second time that those two have ever fought, the first time being in a B-block match for the G1 Climax in 2019, a match that Jay White, I should mention, won. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's going in 1-0 one one against John Moxley. Are they going to do 50-50? Yeah. 50-50 booking again? I don't, I, I, I don't know, Ark, right? Fuck's sake. <laughs> anyway. Uh, maybe. Like pig for a second there. I definitely think Swerve is a favourite to win the goal. Yeah, 
I do agree with you. So him going up against Kingston in the finals, you know, if you want to, you know, cement whatever you don't want to put in the world titles, you yet giving him three belts and you know making the first ever winner of this tournament, you know, first ever continental triple crown champion, whatever you want to call it, being the first ever winner of this tournament, you know, an accolade that he can have that no one can really take away from him, mm-hmm. then you can just say, and the fact that he is a heel, even though he's popular as a heel, gets to take that away from Eddie Kingston and Kingston's home state of New York. Oh it, yeah. Um, which uh, you know, it's really you got twelve, of the, you got you got eleven of the best wrestlers in AEW and Daniel Garcia in this tournament. Ooh. So I fucking can't stand the prick. <laughs> he's one, he's one of the blandest people I've ever seen, and that dancing does not add any. He's convincing dancing for charisma. Can I just say, like, I did do that, that dance earlier on after seeing. Uh, sort of yeah, do it with the Hardys. I just wanted to see what the appeal was. There is no appeal. That's that's the issue. But yeah, I, I agree with it. You can't stand Daniel Garcia. I can't stand Ava Marie. Okay, that's that's where I stand. For very different reasons, though. But anyway, mm. it's a the hell of a uh, block here, and I think they've tried to go with the international flavor with the continental aspect of it because you know you got Jay White representing New Zealand, or Mexico from with Rush. Claudio from Switzerland, Andrade, Mexico as well. It's a it's a good mix of talent here, and yeah, yeah, very good mix. It's also going to make AEW, you know, very interesting over the next couple weeks, especially across eight uh, Rampage and like, across Rampage and Dynamite, where they're going to be doing these matches, you know, every week. So I think it's like reasons to tune in because you see who's in what block. Well, tune in on this time this week. You're going to get this match. You get Danielson versus Claudio, Claudio versus. Eddie Kingston in a rematch from their Grand Slam match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got Claudio versus Garcia and Eddie versus Brody on this week's collision. Yeah, and we've already had three matches on Dynamite. John Moxley defeated uh, Mark Briscoe, Jay White defeated Rush, and Swerstrand defeated Jay Lethal in their matches. You apparently get three min- three points for a win, zero for a loss, and one minute by uh, one point if it goes to the timeout. <laughs> All matches will be uh, 20 minute time limits. Apparently, all seconds will be banned for ringside to ensure no outside interference in any of the matches. Fair enough. Yeah, that is the. It's like you said, we've got two matches already announced for a uh, collision with Kingston and Brody, which will be a big slap and meat style match. Funny thing about Brody King, Brody King was actually in the finals of the tournament to crown the initial uh, strong openweight championship. Uh, so you know, it's funny that he's in this tournament over the strong title as well. He didn't win, obviously. He lost to Filthy Tom Waller, but it's funny hmm. he's back here. And the fact you've got guys who are synonymous with Ring of Honor in the tournament, like a Jay Lethal, like a Mark Briscoe, Claudio, Brian, you know, who have been Ring of Honor champion at one point or another. So, at Jay White, they mentioned Jay White has, he hyped him up as the guy with the most tournament style experience, given he's been in multiple G1 climaxes. He's been in the finals of G1 before, you know, he never won it. So, everybody's pretty much got something in here that makes them basically they really present this like a proper sporting thing. Like, here's so-and-so in the, in the tournament. This is why it's a good thing for him to be in this tournament. I mean, I appreciate, you know, I was the the temporary live correspondent for New Japan Pro Wrestling when I was in Tokyo. But, you know, even I didn't know that much about, you know, how much these guys accomplished in the G1 Climax. Yeah. I'm, but I'm, I am, part of me is annoyed that G.O.A. never got to win a G1 while he was in uh, Japan. He did get to the finals in 2019, but he lost. To Bushy, I think it was. Anyway, more more on this. You can tune it to East Meets West, and uh, of every so often. 
Anyway, that is the continental classic. The one thing we need to talk about AEW-wise before we move on to WWE and Survivor Series is Christian Cage is at it again. <laughs> the man is a menace. <laughs> Biggest heels in the AEW, hands down. Where he, he doesn't blame himself or like, waiting for their loss. He blames Luchasaurus for their loss. Tells Luchasaurus to take an E. And says that the name Luchasaurus is now synonymous with failure. So you're going to be my finisher. Your name for this point forth will be Kill Switch. And at one point where it looked like Chris, he was going to square up to Christian, he goes, now take an E or I'll take off that mask and show everyone your disgusting face. <laughs> oh. I just hope he doesn't continue rocking the dinosaur mask because why would a wrestler be called Kill Switch and wear a dinosaur mask going around going from here on out? I mean, maybe they'll give him a new mask. Like, Possibly. I think they should do that. He said he'll have a chance to earn his name on Collision, so I don't know who he's meant to face on Collision. They didn't actually announce that, and they've not listed it anywhere. So Kill Switch is going to be on, uh, on Collision this week. So I almost called him Luchasaurus again, that you know he's now Kill cool, cool Switch. Excalibur, at least three times in this segment, called him Luchasaurus and then had to correct himself. And by the fourth time, he just didn't correct himself anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's like... It's like what we said before, you know, like when Edge joins AEW, we have to call him Adam Copeland now. But it's like, no, f- f- fuck that. This, like, you know, we've known him as Edge for twenty five years. It's gonna stick. I know. And then he he wants to call uh, Nick the pe- the prodigy, and he's calling him like, "You are like my boy. You're Aiden my own. And Nick Wayne cannot hold his a, a straight face to save his own life. Like he's just he's just constantly looking away from Christian, look but started looking right at the camera so you can see him smiling during the segment. Uh I wonder if Christian went out there with the intention of trying to make him break. But then Nick Wayne's mum comes out and Christian gives her shit for being a waitress and then says with a straight face, It's a good thing your husband is already dead, because otherwise Nick would have disowned him as a father years ago. So he was oh, half, yeah, he's, hell. he's not half the wrestler or half the man. Or half the father that I am, mm. and then, and when he, Nick Wayne's mom gets knocked down, and you have Taz and Cordy like Nick, check on your mother, <laughs> Nick, call your mother, she worries, and he he was willing to let his mom get fucking concertoed if bloody egg. Adam Copeland didn't get involved. He almost called him Edge as well. Yeah, then, no, you see my point. <laughs> and then people pointed out the coldest thing a baby face can do. Luchasaurus takes Christian away as as bloody Kill Switch takes Christian away as Nick Wayne gets concertoed in front of his mother by Adam Copeland <laughs> as Christian yells, "That's my son!" Or it's like, <laughs> like like Edric Dedrick Diggory's father and that's oh, my boy, oh, my boy, that's <laughs> my son. <laughs> oh, that segment was something else, like. I mean, obviously, Nick Wayne's mom obviously isn't like an actual competitor. So the fact, you know, she was put in that spot ready to eat a concerto, it was just mad to think about, especially, you know, if it was a guy doing it to another woman, because, you know, that's just, that's crazy to think about on its own. But, oh, some of the stuff they've been doing with the the Deed Dad Club is (laughs) is starting to get a little bit uncomfortable, I'm not going to lie. You know, and the whole Nick Wayne angle of it as well. 
he sort of like feeling like the Dominic Mysterio of this group a bit. Obviously, but in Dominic's case, you know, he has a deadbeat dad. Nick Wayne just has a well. <laughs> I, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't going to finish that sentence, but you knew where I was going. Yeah, that was Dynamite uh, and everything going. We go over to WWE now, where the theme of SmackDown and Raw was basically people looking for war games partners. Where we had Charlotte having to put aside her differences with Becky to have her join her Bianca and Shotzi in the four-on-four war games match against Damage Control, because uh, it would probably be five-on-five if Dakota was medically cured, but apparently she isn't. So that's going to be four-on-four. Whereas on Raw, they were teasing. Everybody, guys, calling people up to get to get somebody on their team. They said that they did drop a line. Said the SmackDown people aren't off limits, which is probably for just as well because Becky's a Raw, she's on a SmackDown team for Survivor Series. But I think they'd use that as a tease to make you think, oh, it could be Kevin Owens coming in, but it wasn't. And then they did see it, but Cody might as well have because I've got a partner, someone I've got a legacy with. You know, you're not, you guys aren't hearing voices in your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I did see some people expressing their disappointment when, when Cody said, I got someone he could call. It was not the long rave return of Cody's first ever tag team partner, Hardcore Holly. Hardcore Holly. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like me now? We still don't, Bob. God damn it. Um, I mean, he could have staged, staged a jailbreak and got DiBiase Jr. out as well. No, no, thank you. Leave him there. <laughs> Oh, but you know what really annoys me about that? I mean, they basically gave away that it was going to be Randy Orton. You know, I have a legacy with him. I hear voices in my head. It's going to hit you out of nowhere. And yet people are saying, CM Punk, CM Punk. Like, oh my God. It's like, it's like trying to explain to somebody wearing a MAGA hat, you know, like, you know, January 6th was a terrorist attack, or trying to explain to a flat earther that the world is round. Jesus. You could have taken a more lighter example, you know. Like Zachary Junior once said when he talked about explaining technical wrestling to an American, like, like trying to read Shakespeare to a dog. That's what it's <laughs> like. There you go, keep it light. But yeah, people were ch- there were some people chatting Randy, like they didn't have to tell you, but then he just went and smashed all subtly that there was left by just putting a graphic. Randy Orton will join Team Cody Rhodes for Survivor Series. Mm. And Cody has teased, based on the poster, his team will have matching gear. There you go, fucking big Randy, Jey Uso, Cody, Sammy, Seth, all coming out in their bloody camel gear. And you know what? Seth likes an out-there outfit. Oh, yeah, he certainly does, yeah. He'll probably go full, like, you know, flamboyant soldier or something. (laughs) But I think... Announcing Randy Orton's return ahead of time was probably a smart move because if they hadn't, if they'd left it ambiguous to the day itself, all of Chicago would have been chanting for CM Punk. And when it comes out as Randy Orton, they just shit on the entire match. So announcing it ahead of time definitely quells any expectations and just says, right, listen, this is what's going to happen. Randy Orton was your second choice. I appreciate you wanted CM Punk. But it's not happening. It's going to be Randy Orton. It's going to be a smashing match. And we'll all have a really, really great time. But please, please, please don't go mental that it's not the M-Punk. Yeah, I think they would have 
you know, people would still be speculating. I think some people are still thinking he's going to show up. And that's going to be our big question for this episode of Central. Will CM Punk show up at Survivor Series? And if so, what will he, what will he do if he shows up there? Because a lot of people think this person that Jack Murray is teasing that he wants to fight is going to be Punk, you know, because he did a GTS that one time. You know, the closest we'll get to seeing CM Punk be bloody counter after we didn't get it for Ben and Dora this year. But what do you think? Do you think there's still a chance? Because I think people, until mm. Sorry Series happens and he does or show up, people are just going to keep saying he's coming. Yeah. I reckon there is potential for a future angle here because if you recall, Randy Orton's last match before he went on injury leave for about a year and a half, he lost the Raw tag titles, unifying them to become undisputed tag titles against the Usos. So, and you could see from Jey Uso's reaction on Raw that he clearly was thinking, oh, shit. Because he knew what was coming. And that makes me think, what if they do like a backstage angle where Jay gets taken out before the match? It's revealed further down the line to be Orton. Now that's long-term storyline. That makes sense. It creates a future feud for Randy. It eliminates any possibility that the team will turn on each other, you know, Randy Orton, RKO's Jay, then RKO's Cody, and then RKO's any motherfucker that gets in his way. But it leaves an opening, potentially, for a punk return. And I think that's the, realistically, I think it's the only possible solution to make everybody happy and also set up a potential feud for the future. Could be, could be. Yeah, I'm into that. I, mean, I did love the subtle, like, Jay face like I've already got buddy Drew McIntyre who's out to get me and now I've got potentially Orton to worry about and you think about how long Orton's been out for I mean he's been out so long he's his tag partner who he lost the tag team titles with has fought the bloodline mobile teams had multiple tag team partners and then got fired in the time that it's taken Orton to get back I think some people tease that some people have speculated that Orton might fight Roman at the Rumble I think the mm-hmm. plan was for for SummerSlam 2022 was for Orton versus Roman uh, for that pay-per-view, but Randy got injured. So I do love the fact that Randy got a really bad back injury. There's people, even his own father, saying that some doctor said, don't wrestle again, Randy. After he, he was in, what's your first match back, Randy? Oh, I'm just going to go into a, a big double cage match with like nine other guys in it. Yeah. You know, first match back, war games! So I do like the idea uh, the, the season, the tension. I think especially so if you let Orton come in last, you know, so he misses a section of the big section of the match, just in case he's not fully physically healed up yet. Mm-hmm. And then you at the big angle at the end, you know, maybe Jay being accepted by Randy as part of the team, the same way that Jay eventually accepted Sammy and a matter of version of that from last year and the bloodline and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the face team of, ends up getting the win. Talking of bad backs, of, Seth Rollins hasn't really, you know. Yeah. Made a big song and dance about his back lately, right? Yeah, no. It's almost, it's almost as if, like, I know he's got that. It's almost as if they really amped it up just for that Nakamura feud. Because, I mean, he could really fuck up, especially if he did, he gets, if he follows in that big metal bit between the rings. That will fuck mm. Yep. You imagine if they put a table in the middle as well. I think they have or, done it, and yeah. 
or the 2020 women's match where I think Io Sky was put through a ladder that was bridged between the two rings. Mm. That was by Raquel then Gonzalez. Uh, oh, I. Last time she was, last time she was anyway, anyway interesting. But, uh, the evolution of Big Mammy Cool. You mentioned that uh, the Judgment Day and Drew McIntyre, Drew McIntyre has said, I'm not in the Judgment Day, but I will be on their team. So he's not an official member yet. But Judgment Day and Drew do have the advantage after Drew defeated Jey Uso in a match on Raw. Uh, 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 that followed uh, the promo by Drew McIntyre explaining why he did it. He goes like, I've not changed. You know, I've always been the same. Like, you know, Jay and his family took my moan away from me at Classic Castle in front of my family. And then I like this line he said, those people who think I've turned turn their back on me because they think I did something wrong. Good, you were clearly never a fan of me to begin with. Mm. But you weren't a true fan to begin with. Yeah. I mean, Drew's promos have been fire over the last few years. You know, he had a banger against Kevin Owens a couple of years back. You know, I think it was on the lead up to Clash at the Castle. Like, you know, we're, we're both wrestlers. We're in a wrestling ring. Let's wrestle. Like, that, that promo still gives me chills to this day. But... Drew's always been very good at promo delivery, I think. Apart from that, you know, very ultra babyface phase he was in, I think he was definitely watered down in a lot of ways. Like, this is the Drew McIntyre that I remember, like, from his early days as the chosen one, from his days in ICW, etc. You know, is basically the guy who went all around the world and won every top championship that was on offer. And he's he's got that... Uh, ability to, to describe like long-term storytelling and, and trying to get you to understand from his perspective as well. He's not just being, you know, you know, dirty heel of the week and stuff, you know, uh, ha, 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 I'm evil and stuff. I, I'm going to take out all your favorites because I'm evil and stuff. No, he has a legitimate gripe with a lot of these guys, particularly Jey Uso and the Bloodline. And by association, you know, Cody Rhodes falls under that banner as well. Not to mention those two have history themselves, you know, former tag champions all the way back in 2010. Um, so, yeah, there's some. Um, the yep, the dashing ones, <laughs> but that was very short lived. But, you know, it, Drew's involvement makes sense. You know, not just, it's not just the Judgment Day show anymore. Drew's actually wedged himself back in there as the guy to watch. Yeah, definitely. And, I like to see that spin off, you know, a feud on TV because they don't have a pay per view between now on the main roster and between now and the Rumble after this. So that feud and then spin that off into Drew versus Cody. Like, do kind of like, you know, when Austin lost to Triple H at No Way Out 2001, right before Austin went to win the title, like, have Drew beat uh, Cody in a match at like, the Elevation Chamber in Perra because, like, the Bloodline get involved or have, like, Jay or Solo, Jimmy or Solo get involved and then. Drew can come back after Cody hopefully finishes the story at Mania 40 and went like, if anyone's going to take that belt from you, it's me because I've got the best claim. I've beat you. And so now I'm going to, you've had your moment now, I'm going to finally get mine. So Or they both compete in the Elimination Chamber. You know, it could be three Raw, three SmackDown. Winner gets an opportunity to face Roman Reigns for the Undisputed title at Mania. It could come down to those two. And, you know, they could just tear up the match. Yeah, I, mean, I think the the word is that they maybe want the world title challenger for me to win the Rumble and Cody to maybe win the Chamber to make it less like, Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. You know, the Chamber match should be yeah, face Roman Reigns. 
I'm saying I've heard that's the, the the rumors that they want to go, which I think is a good idea because you can get Lady going like very early rather than thirty days this year, and have them get so close, and then hope maybe get maybe even have Drew eliminate them from the Rumble. Ooh, yeah. To further that storyline, make even have like him and Jay maybe team up for a little while in the Rumble, and then he gets eliminated by Drew. Like, just there's many ways you can go from this and. Hopefully this stuff with Drew and Cody and Jay can help keep you know, TV interesting because a lot of people do say that things do go into a bit of a lull period during you know, this period between the Survivor Series and the Rumble before the kickoff for Mania. But I would like Randy if he's... I think he'd probably be a free agent. I think Randy, if he is going to fight Roman, he, like, he goes over to SmackDown like, and do some stuff with Soul on that, help keep the bloodline thing interesting before Roman decides to grace us with his presence once again. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have Roman versus Orton at the Rumble. Yeah. Good. Like I'm saying, that's what, like, there's multiple avenues to go. I mean, Rollins being the world champion going into this, so no world no world title matches on the show. Like, at least no men's one. you got the women's world title being defended in the undercard, but no actual, like, men's world titles on this show. Uh, so, he could, and you got Mr. Money in the Bank in this match. So, there's still the possibility that, Drew, that Damien could cash in before the end of the year. Ooh. But, what if he actually cashes in after war games? Like, how mental would that be? It would be mental. I don't see Judgment Day walking out as the winners here, uh, unless something goes horrible on between Jay and Randy. <clears throat> but let me go through hey, the actual. Hey, hey. Here's another what? thing. What the face team wins? Randy RKO's everybody out of nowhere because you know that's what he does. I mean, he has a legit gripe with Jay so he could easily do it to Cody. Sami Zayn and Seth Rollins could just be collateral damage. And then Priest could ca- capitalize, cash in money in the bank, pin Rollins, and take the world title as a result. Yeah. Like, think, ooh, that does think, sound very tempting. I think I do vaguely remember Roman getting involved in that tight team, say, like, unification match. So if Randy doesn't turn on Jay, you could have him explain it, like, I don't blame you or your brother for it. I blame your I blame Roman for what mm-hmm. happened. And that's Randy's motivation to go after the tag team titles. I think it was gonna be like, you know, Randy gets briefly taken out, Riddle tries to challenge Roman, Roman beats him, and then Randy was meant to try and get revenge at SummerSlam, but obviously, like I said, his injury put a halt to that. So that's your storyline going into the rumble. It's nice to have multiple possibilities for a show. You know, that helps build the excitement. But on the undercard, also you've got the two Wargames matches. We've also got two big title matches and a grudge match. You've got Santos Escobar versus Carlito in a singles match. Carlito's first pay-per-view singles match in WWE since losing to Triple H, Unforgiven 2007. Mental. I know. I, I uh, remember it, that match as well. It, it was um, no disqualification for Carlito only, and he still lost. Because uh, it's Triple H, and Triple H is cool, and he's a face. <laughs> Yeah, he was like a lackey for Vincent Man because the whole thing of Hornswoggle got revealed and Triple H like, ha ha, he laughed at him. So like, he was saying like Carlito after him, he sent Omega after him. Umanga. Umanga. <laughs> yeah, you've also got Rhea Ripley against uh, Zoe Stark for the Women's World title and Gunther defending the Intercontinental Championship against The Miz on the other card. So, you know, I, I, I was kind of mixed on some of the non-Morgan matches from last year's show, but I think they've Got a really solid card, like to put between the two war games, enough to keep you invested. And basically, not we're not relying on all the star power for the two, you know, featured matches. Mm. I still remember 
take over war games in 2019 i think it was there was only four matches on that takeover and the war games pretty much took up a third of the time yeah, I mean, the board games are going to be super well. You've got the intervals and everything, like the two guys who start, and the intervals, like the handicap, the what man advantage and everything. And that's why some people don't really like the war game stipulations. They think it takes too long. You know, but not if you try and pack it with enough spots or enough storylines you know, throughout it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I think five, they might, mm, five matches should be enough, especially when two of them are war games matches. And I hope. Gunther, Miz, and Rhea Ripley's Zoe Stark get plenty of time because I think at Crown Jewels, Zoe Stark was seen as like, you know, she's going to be the one to eat the pin and stuff because of a multi-women match. But no, it was Shayna ate ate the pin there. So I I think it's good that Zoe's finally getting a bit more of a a spotlight on her because, I mean, whatever lack of character she has, she really makes up for it in the ring. And that Z360 finisher is pretty damn pretty damn awesome so i think she'll hopefully give rhea ripley a run for their money but i don't know two heelish women going at it mm, i think the face heel dynamic's gonna probably not be there for it whereas gunther and the miz definitely feels more appropriate yeah i like gunther as well. i don't think miz is gonna win because the build and his face turn has come kind of out of nowhere in the last couple of weeks. I think it's just for a challenger for, for Gunther on pay-per-view. But I am going to enjoy this for the same reason I enjoy watching Logan Paul challenge the Roman Reigns for the title. You know he's not going to win, but you enjoy watching the panic on certain fans' you know, faces and their Twitter timelines of just the, the mere possibility that it might happen. Because mm-hmm. there are some people out there who just won't refuse to get the Mizzies due no matter what he does. Yeah, that's for sure. Like, We've still got that epic shot of Logan going for the, the clothesline. He's flying through the air. Roman's like that spot where he's about to uppercut the living daylights out of him. Mm-hmm. It was like I said that in the group in the chat. It's like best photos in wrestling. And I think that came up as one of them. But I think it's just down to like, you know, personal preference. That was a good one. Becky Lynch in the bloody face, I think was a good one. People are saying like, you know, when Hangman drank Swerve's blood and then spat it out again, the moment where he spits it out, they're saying that like, that's an iconic image in itself. But I don't know. I think the next reaction kind of dampers it a bit. Maybe, maybe Hangman's just a big gang girl fan. Maybe he's just a big fan of the Broods. <laughs> no, I think he would have fitted right into the Brood. <laughs> uh, let's go through this uh, card. Do you, do you see any surprises in the end of Carly 2 title match? Do you see the champions both retaining? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Gunther's been brilliant. Rhea Ripley's been unstoppable. I think the one I'm more interested in is Carlito versus Escobar. Because mm-hmm. I think originally it was supposed to be a faction versus faction match between the two sides. But obviously, Ray had to get meniscus surgery. So he's out mm-hmm. for the rest of the year. I suppose this is the next best thing. But it would have made me wonder... Do you think they would have reunited Legado del Fantasma and have Carlito team up with Rey Mysterio and like Dragon Lee or something to go against well, them? And maybe Zelina's uh, Zelina's alignment could be put into question a little bit. Well, it seems like Santos got a hell of a promo on SmackDown, you know, blaming Ray for everything. 
know, being angry at Legado and Selena for basically feeling like they turned against them. And Santos seemed to go against you know, Cruz del Toro and Joaquin Wilde saying, oh, without me, you'd be nothing. So the reports seem to be that Humberto and Angel Garza may get called back up from XT to join Santos to go up against the LWO. Mm. And there is talk that Dragon Lee will get involved on which side, I don't know. But so I think there's enough players in this to keep it going until Ray comes back. If mm. Ray's going to be maybe Mania or hell. No, I think it would be cool. This, I mentioned, I shared the story with the guys mm. in the chat. And you mentioned it last week about somebody who is going to be who's technically in the LWO who they maybe want to fit into Mania Night 2. Mania Night 2, maybe if Ray's not back. Bad Bunny versus Santos Escobar. Ooh. Yeah, I think that was mentioned before. I'd be all for it. Mm-hmm. You know, because Bad Bunny, you know, he's... I think he's the top streaming artist in Spotify at the minute, or it may be Drake, one of the two. But either way, big selling name in, on Spotify on, and throughout the world. He's a big, big name draw. He's probably one of the better celebrity athletes that they've brought in to like do multiple matches. Logan Paul obviously being the, the major exception. Uh, but yeah, more Bad Bunny means means more more ratings. Yeah, I mean, we've had some great like hometown pops this year. Like obviously, Sammy in Montreal swerved recently in Seattle at Wrestle Dream. But I think among some one of the best maybe all time, as Ross talked about, like hometown pops is the whole crowd. Even though we may not understand it, like watching it elsewhere in the world, but the whole crowd singing along to mm. Bad Bunny song. As the biggest drone shot carries over the arena, just mm. what a hell of an entrance! I want to see that kind of atmosphere once again at a WrestleMania. Yeah. But you can forget, yeah. you can forget Cardiff singing Metalingus. You can forget London singing Kingdom. Like Puerto Rico singing Bad Bunny's music, this mm. eclipses both of them. I mean, we were planning also on going back to to Wembley again uh, in twenty twenty four, which I think Colt, Adam Colton will be there. So you got to do it at Cassia Castle, but we'll all get another chance to sing Metalingus here. Mm-hmm. I'll bugger our voices in the process. You know, we had Judas, and also if Osprey is going to be there, you get, mm-hmm. you've got a chance to remember the lyrics this time, and you'll get a tune in. And oh, sing listen, I've been, I've been singing that song song on loop the entire time I was in Japan. <laughs> it's so so damn catchy. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about the Titular the War Games match. I mean, we mentioned the men's one. We'll talk about the women's a little bit here. Uh, we got, like I said, Bailey, Asuka, Eoskai, Kairi taking on Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, Shotzi Blackheart, and uh, Charlotte Flair. I think last year it was the face women won and the heel men's team won. I think it's going to be the reverse this year. The heels are going to mm-hmm. win the women's one. Charlotte and Becky can't get along. Bianca can't get along with Charlotte. And basically it's a way, like, maybe Asuka or Kairi get the win to cement this new dominant version of damage control before the the inevitable is them kicking Bailey out of the group. Mm. And then also the big swerve that the faces can actually get along in the main event with the men's team going over. I mean, am I am I being too cynical here or am I uh, do you think I'm onto something here? No, no, I think you're right. I think you're onto something. I think my major gripe with damage control is that more often than not, they've been in on the losing side, or they've not secured as many big wins as they'd have liked them to. Like, initially, they did well, you know, their arrival at SummerSlam, they got the win at Clash at the Castle over Asuka, Alexa, and Bianca. But fast forward a year later, like, they've sort of just been used as a can fodder a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Bailey lost three times in a row to Bianca. Io Sky didn't feel like as big of a women's champion as she originally started off, even after cashing in Money in the Bank. It wasn't until I think Io beat Bailey and then the two and then Asuka and Kyrie, the, the Kabuki Warriors, them being added to damage control, I think that was a major boot up in the arse for them. And I think we need to ride that momentum going forward. So yeah, I agree. I think damage control needs this more. I mean, you got the idea that like basically, you know, uh, he was being able to do the one thing Bailey couldn't do. You know, in cashing in, she beat Bianca Belair and became the champion. So, she's beat Bianca Belair twice now. Yeah, so she's been able to do it. Bailey can do it. basically the idea. Like, uh, yes, like the reason we were failing all the time that was you, Bailey. You're the one who couldn't get the job done. So we're better off without you. And she and, kept interfering you know, as well. Mm-hmm. Like that goes back to the the Puerto Rico match between Io and Aye, Bianca, where yeah. and everyone was cheering for Io. Yeah, but so people that assume that it was like going to be Bailey as the heel and Io was the face, but you know, switch around maybe Bailey, maybe not full hugger, but Bailey going back to a face again. And hell, you know what? I would like I I'd like the storyline of Bailey wins the Royal Rumble and mm. challenges you because I think you know. Out of the horsewomen that are still remaining in WWE, she's the one that's not won the Rumble yet. And I think it's actually one of the only major things she's not done yet. She's won a chamber, she's won all the belts, she's won money in the bank, she's never won a Rumble. It's one of the last thing to tick off her list. Makes sense. There you go. See, we're doing all the fancy booking for you, Debbie. We're booking the next yeah, two yeah. months of storylines here. We're all the way up to WrestleMania. We've even booked uh-huh. a celebrity match and everything. Yeah, we're getting the ideas out in the open here. We're basically booking the road to Wrestlemania for them. We've even booked CM Punk, even though he's probably not going to be there. <laughs> We've got a contingency plan for CM Punk, just in case. <laughs> uh, big Paul, he's, he's definitely listening. Big, loves this big yeah. Paul. Uh, we like our Uncle Paul. <laughs> uh, I think that'll do us for another episode of ESSR. So let us know, like I said, the big question, do you think CM Punk will show up? Let us know on Twitter at Civilized uh, also on Instagram and Facebook. What do you think about the card for uh, Sorry, What are you looking forward to? Who do you think is going to walk out the war games? Did you think, what did you love about uh, <laughs> what did you love about AEW Full Gear? All these questions you can answer. Let us know on social media. And make sure you'll go back in the back catalogue and see Ross Fantasy Book and all sorts of other things and shitting on Tony Khan. I've been doing a job for him this week. So I've done both. Not literally, I hope. Well, we don't know what big toys into, but <laughs> yeah, we don't king shame on ESSR. But we have uh, into the back category. It's essential Saturday draft live. The season is going to come to an end at Survivor Series. So stay tuned. There'll be a big selection show coming soon to our socials and our YouTube channel. And Dave and the gang will bring out, will break down everything with the draft going forward into the new year and towards the Rumble in the latest season before we go to the tag team season from Rumble to you know, aka my favourite season of all the ones we do. And also we talked about Japan, you can keep up with what's happening in Japan, me and Graham McRobbie talking about East Beats West where uh, we're currently the World Tag League is going on so we're going to cover World Tag League in December. We've got another East West Christmas special planned and going into the new year we'll give you all the preview and all the rundown heading into Wrestle Kingdom 18. Or Wrestling X8, if you're that so inclined. <laughs> I did that last year with Wrestle Kingdom 17, like Wrestle Kingdom 17 or Wrestle Kingdom X7, if you feel that way. Uh, uh, just to we should have done a DLC and 
last year's Wrestle Kingdom, or this year's rather. <laughs> Just would have loved Jay White and Okada coming for the main event all the while. You think you're special? <laughs> you too. <laughs> Oh, anyway, my way, uh, it's my way, my way or the highway. Well, tune in next week when Russell may be back and hopefully there'll be less singing on ESSR Central. Until then, thank you to David Totney for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me once again. I've been Scott McLeod, your temporary host, and let's see how long it takes for I'm forced to set back in again. Bye bye. Folks, it's out. It's out for you to listen to. It's the Roddy Piper Feature Show. Go and listen to that panel. They break down his legendary career. How important was he to the first WrestleMania? They talk about it. That IC title match with with Bret Hart. Oh, yes, they talk about it. You know, go and check out. It's a great breakdown on the career of the great Roddy Piper. Go and give it a listen. Podcast Network.